Good morning, everybody. I'm glad to be with you this morning. It's always my pleasure to get to be here at White Oak and get to be with a lot of familiar people that I've known for a long time and some that uh, that just uh, have been a blessing to my life. We're getting people to heaven. Think about that. This world is not my home, we sing in our song. I'm just passing through. I want to be on an upward way and to be able to sing that song and encourage one another. The fact that the journey's not ended because we're looking at one another. So we've got some roads to travel. It might be long, it might be short. It doesn't matter anymore. An old friend of mine used to get up and he'd say once in a while, he says, we're one day closer to heaven. And I don't know if he was saying that to, to shake himself up or reality for all of us, but that's the truth. And if you aren't here today because you passed on, then you know what I'm talking about, wherever you might be. We're one day closer to heaven. Meanwhile, don't give up. Don't give up. That's the thing that Satan wants us to do. I think for me, and for a lot that I've talked with, it's one of the greatest tools that Satan uses in his, I'll call it, toolbox. And he pulls that out along with a lot of other things that he works in there, and he's trying to wedge us away from God. And if he can, he'll get in there and interfere, and he'll pull us apart. And over a period of time, he'll work us into feeling like you don't count for anything. Just give up. Don't give up. I'm in the process of trying to fix some siding on my house. Carl knows exactly what I'm talking about because he helped me put it up there. I should say I watched him put it up there along with his crew some time ago. And we didn't put the right kind of caulk in there when I was helping a guy paint. He... He knew what he was doing, I guess, somewhat, and I picked the caulk out and it wasn't the right kind. Caulk is that ingredient that you fit in the grooves, you know, and, and it, it glosses over and it just covers over you. Paint it looks perfect. fills in those spaces. Well, the caulk started cracking and separating as the boards were expanding and closing from the heat, and that caulk didn't hold because it wasn't the right kind. It didn't have that tension to hang tight and to stretch, and we're like that. We, we, we've got to have some gripping power to hold on and stay in there when the heat presses and stretches us back and forth. So I'm cutting that caulk out, and I've pretty much done all that, and I'm putting in good caulk. And I understand the importance of it because I'm protecting what's inside. Don't give up. You hold tight and hang in there till the end. Protect what's inside. So I'm going to talk about three things to hold tight to this morning. Number one, I want you to not give up on God. Number two, don't give up on prayer. And number three, don't give up on the Bible. I know it's all linked together. I don't want you to give up on God to start with because a lot of times I've heard lots of people that have done that. Good friends of mine. And proud to say that somewhere in the journey of talking with people and all. I've, I've run into some people and, and along with others been a part of an encouragement to get somebody back who decided they weren't going to give up. 
a good, good friend of mine in Argentina. His name is Osvaldo. And he gave up on God. He told me he was an atheist. And I was talking to him one day, and I was having a Bible study in his house. Now, this is back in the 80s. And, and some of y'all, that's way before dinosaur time, after dinosaur time, about four years. But I'm, I'm there, and uh, we're describing things going on in our life. And he says, when my kids come home from school... He said, I do the math homework with them and I do this homework. And it gets to the religion. They taught religion in school. He says, I sin in my wife because I don't believe in God. I said, why don't you believe in God? And he told me that when he was in the army and he was riding the back end of a deuce and a half and he was in charge of this crew, he said, this plane come flying over. And it did some kind of sign as it wavered about in his flight maneuvers to allow them to think that they were friendly airplanes. And then he buzzed over the top. He said, he just shot everybody up in the back end. He said, I survived. And he said, that day I got mad. He said, I gave up on God. I don't believe in God anymore. I said, yeah, you do. And he, he got very angry with me. He says, no, I don't either. I just told you I don't believe. I said, yeah, you do. And I got right back in his face. You know how I was younger back then. I just argued with whatever. <laughs> and... Uh, he said, how do you know? I said, you're mad at him. I said, therefore, you do, you do believe he exists. You're just mad at him. And he goes, yeah, you're right. I'm mad at him. And he had a cause for it because he, he was alive and his friends were dead and he was mad at God. I said, well, we'll start right there. Why would you give up on him? And he told me the details and stuff a little more. And, and I said, well, let's get back into shape. Well, those follow, I was happy to learn some time ago, not only did I baptize him while I was there alone with him, few others, and I'm with a group, and we're just working, you know, doing the Lord's work. But he's an elder in the church now. Don't give up. Satan wants you to give up. He wants you to look around the pews and say, there's not many people here. It's not worth the effort. Every soul counts for more than the entire world. You look around in here. We've got people that live and breathe God in their hearts. They struggle. You struggle, I know. I struggle. But I'm not going to give up. I get angry sometimes. Downright angry at Satan for what he's done to my family, my friends. But I'm not giving up. Don't give up on God. When God called Joshua to lead his people, it was after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Moses had just died. You look at the beginning pages of Joshua. And God's calling Joshua and he says, This is the death of my servant Moses is gone. And I'm putting you in charge. And you got to think, Joshua's thinking, Me? you got to be kidding. I'm a soldier, but that's it. I don't want to fool with these people. I've been with them. I've listened to their complaining for 40 years. And I told them we should have crossed over 40 years ago. And now you want to put me in charge? Bring Moses back from the dead, you know. Don't you want some of those good leaders to come back? And God says, you're up. Be strong and of good courage. I'm going to be with you. Don't give up. And he didn't use that phrase, but that's the emphasis of what he's saying here. So you look around at what you've got here, and you decide in your heart, 
I might be the only person in this pew, but I'm not giving up. They close the doors and they need to sell the building. I'm still not giving up. I'm not going to give up on God. He's done too much for us in this world. And He continues to do so. That's Satan's trick. To get you to listen to what he's saying because he does things better. So he says, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. They've got God right there in their midst. And they start listening to Satan. They're going to have a better life with Satan. Satan says, I can do this for you and I can do that. God's trying to keep you from having a good time. And oh, don't we hear that today. And you start talking about Jesus and Christianity and People are having a good time. They don't want to fool with Him. You just keep talking to them. Because inside their heart, they're listening. They act like they're not. They don't want to hear you. But like Nicodemus, they can tell that something's going on and and they just can't deny it. You don't give up. Genesis chapter 13, or rather, Numbers chapter 13. This is where we'll start in our analyzation of what's going on. We talk about not giving up on God. Now the spies in chapter 13 are part of a good Jewish group. And they're sent as heads of their tribe to go spy out this land. What a privilege to get to go be one of the tough guys and to go out and check this area out. They must have been something special. There must have been some great spirituality about them. Out of all of that stuff. Out of all that had gone on in the wilderness. And here they are and they're getting to go and check it out. And so these tough guys are going there. And they go into this area and God says, I want you to go check it out. I want you to tell me what kind of cities there. And they go with this message of, you make sure you check it out. You want to see if these cities are fortified? I want to go see if this land really is rich and, and bountiful as God told us it's going to be. You check it out, because you're going to come back with the right message, we know. And check out the people and what they're like, and, and you know, just do a good survey. And so they come back, and all 12 of these spies saw the same thing. They were together in a team. And they checked out these areas. They saw the cities. They saw how tall the, the, the walls were. They were fortified. The people were like monsters in their size, and... And they got scared of them, but they looked around and they saw the, the fruits of the land and they came carrying in the grape, a bunch of grapes tied across a pole. Now, I usually carry a bunch of grapes in my fingers like this if I grab a hold of a bunch. You go to the grocery store, you pick up a bunch in a sack now, but it's a bunch of grapes. Two men carried a bunch of grapes and it was so big, tied to a pole. You talk about land that looked good and the people looked at this and thought, wow, this is great. But, ten of the spies said, we can't do it. Joshua and Caleb were saying, but the Lord said we can go. We can do this. Let's go. We can do this. Now he can't. And they gave up. They flat gave up. God with them the whole time they were in Egypt. Every one of those people had seen all of those plagues one by one. And God did it that on purpose. Not only to show Egypt who was in charge, but to show his own people, don't you give up. I've got it lying here. I'm taking care of this. I've got 12 plagues on an arsenal, and I'm going to pick them apart one by one. And when I get through, they're not only going to let you leave, they're going to ask you to leave, and they're going to pay you to leave. 
They walked out with the bounties of that land, the gold and the silver and everything else. It was like an army come in and took over everything, except they were the slaves, and they walked out with every bit of it. You don't think God wasn't in charge? And they get out there in the middle of the desert, and they're worried about water and food. Like, God's not going to take care of them. I know there's probably about six million. You do your counting. What's mentioned there about the number of men that are mentioned at one time in the book of Numbers. And you figure if there's 600,000 men, there's probably 600,000 women. And then you've got children and all that. You've got several million people. Yes, a sizable crew to feed in the desert. But God been doing it the whole time. All of a sudden they decide they're going to quit. They're going to give up. They want to go home. And we complain sometimes because God's not treating us the way we think He ought to be treating us. And we want to give up on Him because He's not giving to us what we expect Him to. That's our fault for immaturity. So they sent these spies out. Verse 27 of chapter 13. They came in and they repented. When we went to the land where you sent us, it truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. They brought it out there. Nevertheless, uh uh-oh. Sometimes it says, but. Just three words, but it gets in the way of everything. The people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified. They're very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of of Anak there, and Amalekites dwell in the land, and on and on and on. Caleb stops. Whoa, verse 30. Quiet the people. He said, let's go. Let's go now. Let's go at once. We're able to overcome it. Verse 31, But the men who had gone up with them said, We are not able to. And then they spread a bad report. Verse 32, They gave up. Those millions of people gave up on God. Forty years in the desert, God had been feeding them every day. They never missed a meal. Where did they get it? They didn't go buy it anywhere. They didn't work for it. God just fed them. All the clothes that they wear, never worn out. I've got some old tennis shoes that I'm wearing when I work on the house. My toes stick out on the front side. My big toe rubs against the edge. It's that net kind of stuff, and it just eventually wore out a frazzle. On the left sides and right sides, and where my little toe, it rubs holes in there too. That's my paint shoes. That's not as good as my... Yard shoes, they're, they're crumbled over with grass and they're worn to the frazzle. That's not my good shoes. But I've only had them a few years. These guys wore these sandals that they had on for 40 years. They never wore out. They never stopped to think about how God had been taking care of them. And they're ready to quit on you. Like a bunch of babies sometimes. And that's how we get sometimes. So this is for me and this is for you. Don't you give up. Don't give up on God. And you'll find sometimes that even the spiritual leaders, and that could be any of us that have been hanging in there all this time, just get tired and frazzled. You know, and it's no different than, than Abraham, Moses rather, when, when he was with God. And here in chapter 11, the people started complaining once again. Moving back in time just a little before the chapter 13 and 14. Back up just a bit. Moses is still around. And the people started complaining because they didn't have any meat. They got tired of the manna. I don't know what they did with it, but I'm sure they fixed a variety of kind of 
There was manna squash and manna this and manna that, and they got tired of it. I like to eat something different every day. But I like leftovers too, but they didn't like it. And so Moses got to complaining to God. How are you going to do this? How are you going to feed them? And, and God sitting there listening to Moses, his favored leader, complaining as if God can't do it. Verse 21, chapter 11 says, Moses complains that the people whom I'm with, there's 600,000 men on foot, and yet you said, I will give them meat, and they will eat for a whole month. Shall the flocks and the herds and the slaughtered for them, if they're slaughtered, provide enough for them that we don't even have enough to do it among us? Or shall all the, the fish of the sea be gathered together? They can't do it. God's answer back, verse 30, 23. And the Lord said to Moses, Has the Lord's arm been shortened? In other words, can, can I not reach you still? My arm not... Long enough to reach out and do what I promised? Moses is ready to give up. He thought this is not going to work. And so I, I just want you to see in this whole picture of things that there's a whole lot said in the Old Testament and in the New Testament about people that are ready to give up on God because that's what Satan wants us to do. And you know that. You're sitting there thinking about it. Not giving up, but how you felt like it sometimes. We all get there. You don't give up. I don't give up. This is such a, a needful lesson. I preached this when I was down in Panama just a few weeks ago. And I was riding with a fellow who's kind of the, the coordinator for the churches around the area. He's not in charge. He just helps coordinate between the churches that oversee the work and the preachers. So he relates back and forth and Speaks Spanish and English, and he's a great worker. And so he was riding or steering the boat, and we're riding because we're going from island to island. And I got through, and he says, preach at one place. He says, preach that same sermon at the next place we go to. And I said, well, we've got three or four people here that are with us from the other church. And I said, I'd like to do something different for them. He says, no, they all need this lesson. He says, we all feel like, including me, sometimes that we ought to give up. He says, they all need to hear this. So it's something we all feel, no matter where you live or where you're at. So I preached it again. I'll call it a little different in Spanish, but the same emphasis here. So don't give up on God. He's not giving up on you. Number two, don't, don't give up on prayer either. And for this passage, I want you to look at Luke chapter 18. I want you to think about what's being said here. As we said in the Bible class, a lot of times there are words, if you pay attention to what's mentioned in here, it means a whole lot. You don't just glaze over the description here. So verse 1, it says, Then he spoke to them a parable that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. I used to look at that as an introduction, then I wanted to rush into the parable. And it was about emphasis on praying and not giving up. But I want you to... See what Luke is writing because the Holy Spirit's telling you something as an introduction to what Jesus is about to say. It's God saying both of them. That Jesus is telling you this parable because He's looking around at everybody and He's seeing they're ready to give up on prayer. They're about ready to lose heart. You been there? You get up in the morning, you're about to go through your day, and well, I ought to pray about this. Eh, I don't have time. 
I'm busy. Or I just, God doesn't listen anyway. Or doesn't care about me. I'm not one of those whoever highfalutin spiritual persons. He's not going to listen to my prayers like he would theirs. I'm going to call somebody else and tell them to pray. God listens to every prayer that every person utters. He listens. And he pays attention. And on top of that, Jesus now, while he's on earth, tells a parable to emphasize don't give up on praying because he's looking around at his apostles and everybody else and he sees that the majority of the people are ready to give up on praying. And Jesus says, I'm going to tell you something about God and about prayer so you won't give up. And then he tells this long story to emphasize that his father is listening. Now get this. Here's Jesus who knows in heaven what his father's listening to and paying attention to. And how is he able to decipher the millions of people on earth and who's really listen, who's really talking to him and not? I don't have that understanding, but God does. And Jesus is watching the father listening to us. And he's telling you, I see my father listening to your prayers. Don't quit. And so he tells this long parable. And he emphasizes it by his life. And the way that he goes about praying. So when it gets down to the cross, and it looks like almost like Satan's winning, he's prayed three times, as Matthew talks about in the garden. Take this cup from me, Father. I don't want this. I don't like this idea of dying. He knows he's going to be resurrected, but he still doesn't want to go through all of this. And the scourging and everything else that's ahead of him, he just doesn't want it. And yet, while he's hanging on the cross, he's talking to his father. And he knows he's listening. And he's emphasizing what he said here. Don't give up on prayer. God listens to every prayer you utter. So you ought to be praying. And you ought to pray trusting that God hears and that He cares. He cares about your prayers. He cares about what you're worried about. As trivial as you think it might be, sometimes I talk to people and I say, I don't think I'll ask God about that because it's not that important anyway. It's not like we're changing the world with this. and It's not a life or death. Well... God still cares. If it bothers you or concerns you or is anxious for you, then pray. Let God sort out whether you should have it or not, and He does in a right way. But He'll answer your prayers in a way that's good for you, and you'll have walked and talked with the Almighty God. And He's hearing you. And I guarantee you, my daughter youngest daughter works in D.C. If I go up there and I go to that perimeter that's built around the White House and I try to get in, they're not going to let me. I can say, I want to talk to the president. They don't care. He doesn't want to hear you. But God does. You ought to talk to him. He wants to hear how you're doing. He wants you to do well. He wants you close at hand. He wants you talking often. Don't give up on prayers. Number three, don't give up on the Word of God either. Next chapter 20, as we're 
going through this section here in the context is, is Paul is on a missionary journey. And, and as he's getting ready to leave, he's concerned about leaving this area. He's going to leave, but he's been there a long time. Some places he's been short, but he's not, not like this, not like Ephesus. He spent three years there. That's a long time for Paul to be on a missionary journey. And, and what he said was, verse 27 in Acts chapter 20, he says, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I've been here a long time. I've preached everything. Everything that relates to God, and you know it. Verse 28, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's talking to elders now in the church there. You shepherd the flock, the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. And then He says this, For I know, that after my departure, savage wolves are going to come in. And he's talking about his own brother. They'll come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, even among your own eldership and leadership, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after themselves. Therefore watch... And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn you, everyone, night and day, with tears. I poured my heart out over this. What are they going to do? Paul's going to be gone. These other people are going to come in. They're going to mess everything up. Verse 32. Now, brethren, I commend to you God and to the word of His grace. You don't give up on the Bible. You don't give up on God. You got this word here. The word of God is described by Paul as living and active. Well, actually, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. So there's a debate on whether Paul wrote that or somebody else that was inspired, but it's from God. The word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. That was, what, that was the powerful tool they had back then. The dividing of soul and spirits and joints and marrows. It's quick to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's powerful. It gets in and it starts working on somebody's heart and you can't begin to describe why. Some time ago I had a Bible study. I know it sounds strange, but there was a fellow that was a, uh, a chemical engineer. He had his doctor's degree, probably two or three, I don't know. When you look at him, he doesn't dress like this. When he came to church with his wife, he was atheist. He'd have holes in his old T-shirt and he'd wear flip-flops or whatever. His hair was just just whatever it was when he got up out of bed. Mine looks pretty rough when he got out of bed. I don't know about you. He looked like that. And he'd come to church. He'd sit there. He was friendly. Good guy. Good old man. And uh, But he didn't believe in God. So I said, hey, would you, how'd you like to study together? Sure, come on over. So I did. And... Uh, I asked one of the deacons of the church, I said, hey, you want to go with me and study with Ed? He goes, you're studying with Ed? Yeah. Okay. So I picked him up. We head over to his house that evening. What are you going to do? And I said, we're going to read from God's Word. He said, but he's atheist. I said, I know. What are you going to study from God's Word for? He said, 
what else are you going to do? Well, why don't you talk about proof of the existence of God? I said, well, we'll get to that. He's been coming to church. You ought to know some of that stuff. So we sat down and read. And we, about an hour's time, I felt like that was probably a good time frame to work with. And we'd read some from God's Word. We start reading through the book of Matthew because it just seemed to work when I was in Argentina. So I kept doing that same old thing. We'd open up the book of Matthew and we'd start reading about Jesus. So we read a passage or two and talked about some stuff. And he'd say, how do I know that's true? And I just... That was my explanation. <laughs> so, and, uh, okay. And we'd go back the next week and we'd read some more. Just continue on. And uh, his questions were, how do I know that's true? All of a sudden, one day, when I was talking about some other things, he said, show me where that's at. Did you notice his question just changed? He changed from, how do I know it's true, to show me where the Bible says that, because he was starting to trust the Bible. The Word was working on his heart, and he wasn't doubting God anymore. Ed became a Christian eventually. Not because of me, but because we sat there and read the Word of God. Don't give up on it. The power of it, the effect of it, and how it works on people's heart, even to the people that don't know it, it still works. It doesn't do everything for everybody, but it does. I like what the psalmist wrote in the 119th Psalm. Longest chapters it's called in the Bible. Verse 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. It's like the Ten Commandments all over again. It's carved in stone. People don't like that phrase today. I, you, you preach that like it's carved in stone. Well, it seems to me those Ten Commandments were carved in stone. God had a purpose. He didn't want it to go away. He didn't want them to think it was ever going to go away because His word forever is settled in heaven. It's all written there. Now, people can walk all over it in this world, in the United States, and all these highfalutin areas where you've got to be a doctor's degree to do this or that. And I'm not putting down degrees. I think they're great as long as you realize who's in charge of the world. It's carved in heaven. It's settled. It's not going away. Heaven and earth, Jesus said in Matthew 5, will pass away, but my word will never pass away. It's powerful. It's strong. And don't give up on it. So here's the thing. If it's so good and so powerful and you're feeling a little bit weak as a Christian, then I'm going to ask yourself and myself a question. Why are you not studying it more? Why are you not reading it a little more often? If it's that good for you, if it's going to help you trust God a bit more, if it's going to make a difference in your life on how you look at everything else. It's all like the spy situation. It just depends on how much you trust God, how you're going to look at things. Now there are ten of them, that's a majority, way over majority, that didn't like, in Numbers chapter 14, the way they were looking at things. But two of them had a different reflection on it because they looked at God differently. And so the world was different to them. Satan wants to take us apart. And he loved nothing more for you to read in the newspaper that this preacher's gone off and left the church. 
so he can rub it in your face and say, see here? Heard him preaching about that last week. He'll do all that he can do to pick us apart by one by one. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on His church. Don't give up on the power of His Word. Don't give up praying, talking to Him. Don't give up on your your friends, your family. Keep praying for them. We've got a whole lot ahead of us. We've got breath and life and we've got a God. Let's just wait and see what He does. He can do great things if you're willing to walk with Him. Conquer lands and be victorious. Are you a Christian today? Are you living like it? Question number two. You've been baptized into Christ. And are you living it? You committed to Him. Christ died on the cross for you. And He wants you to be home with Him. If your life needs straightening out, either be baptized into Christ or to come back because you've gone away. He wants you. He wants you desperately. He's not willing to run you out the door. He wants you near Him. He wants to take you home. So we're singing a song, an invitation song. You need to respond to the gospel and come while we stay inside.